morning again. Great to see you all. That was an awesome uh, time of worship together this morning, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was. And uh, we're glad that you're here, especially if this is your first time here. Uh, we realize that not everyone is willing to raise their hand just for a candy bar. It takes more incentive than that to get me to raise my hand in church. So it might be that you are uh, uh, here as a first-timer and uh, yet yeah, didn't raise your hand. We're especially glad that you're here. The closer we get to Christmas... Uh, the more fitting this this uh, roller coaster theme for the series seems to be the closer we get to Christmas. And we subtitled the series Surviving the Ride of Your Life uh, because life is full of ups and downs and twists and turns. And uh, sometimes, like Christmas, life can pick up an unsustainable velocity and we can find ourselves just wanting to get off the ride altogether. And uh, Christmas can be like that. Uh, Many people look forward to Christmas, but not everyone. And some of you approach the Christmas season the way that I approach roller coasters. Slowly, (laughs) apprehensively, uh, maybe even a little fearful. And so we're mindful of that, that not everyone uh, charges into Christmas just, 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 you know, thrilled and, and loving it. If I had to sum up my roller coaster experience thus far in life, uh, if I had to use one word to sum up how I really feel about roller coasters, I would use the word regret. That, that, that's the word for me, okay? For me, that's the word that comes to mind when I think about roller coasters. Like, why am I on this thing? Why don't I make better decisions? This is not where I want to be right now. Dear God, if you get me off of this mechanical tool of Satan, I promise, I promise, just get me off this thing. And I I promise, I promise, I will never, ever get on one of these things again. Uh, When I was working for our head office in Indianapolis, uh, there was, we were being courted by the city of Orlando to bring one of our large conferences there. And uh, so while we were in Orlando this time, uh, Universal Studios picked us up at our hotel and whisked us off to their theme park and gave us all these big, shiny VIP passes. And someone took us on the VIP tour of Universal Studios. And any ride that you wanted to go on, they just bypassed the entire line and took you right, like just walked right in and put you on a seat right in front of people who had been waiting there for hours, you know, because we had these big VIP badges. And ride after ride after stupid ride. And, you know, most people, you watch people getting off a coaster and they're, they're whooping and they're, they're hollering and they're high-fiving and they're, they're talking about, you know, what their favorite part of, you know, I, I, when it did this and I like that. And, you know, and they're, you know, they're just ecstatic like that. And this is me getting off a coaster. And <laughs> I'm walking on an angle, stumbling on it, just looking for a bench. I don't, I don't need a bucket. I'm fine. <laughs> and and the, for the rest of the day, like for hours, you know, the whole park, everything's just off. And I'm just kind of at an angle for the rest of the day. That's, that's me. So I have several roller coaster regret stories, but there's, there's probably no ride that I have regretted more um, than this one right here. Take a look at this one. We're just going to put this up. I think we're having problems with the audio, but you'll get it right away. You know that ride? You been on that ride? Anybody been on that ride?
that's that's just wrong. That's the Tower of Terror at Hollywood Studios, Disney, and uh, there is no ride that I have ever regretted more than that ride right there. In in that ride, <laughs> the Tower of Terror, some of you love it. You're just like, ah, I, 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 I can't wait to get on that thing again. I, I think you're nuts. Um, but we're all different. That ride is is a is a is a reminder to me of all the bad decisions I've ever made. It's just this, it's just, it's just, it just stands there out in the park as this, this symbol of regret in my life. And uh, just a total lack of self-control. Like, how did I get in line for something that I don't even want to do? This is, this is not where I want to be. I, I don't want to be in line for this ride. I want to be out in the park. I want to be out in the daylight. I want to be eating one of those Mickey Mouse ice creams. That's what I want to be doing right now. Uh, this is not going to be fun. And why am I paying money for this? This is a really, really bad decision. I'm smarter than this. How is this happening to me right now? And uh, you've done this. Maybe, maybe not on the Tower of Terror. Maybe not on a roller coaster, but, but you've had that feeling before. Uh, you've been on a ride called regret at one point or another. We all have. We all have. You, you have found yourself on a ride called regret at one point in another. You've found yourself in situations that you really didn't want to be in. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm smarter than this. What am I doing here? This is, this is not where I want to be right now. And you probably prayed a prayer similar to Pastor Tim's roller coaster prayer, right? It, it, we've all prayed. I say we all. That's okay. Most of us. Let's just not assume everyone. Most of us have prayed a prayer like that. Uh, oh, God, if you get me out of this mess. Lord, if you just get me out of this mess, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll be a missionary. I will go to the, to the deepest jungles of the world. Like, like, God, just get me out of this mess. I will give you all of my worldly possessions. You know, just, just get me out of this mess right now. So how, how do you recover from a season of regret? How do you recover from a night of regret? When you come to your senses and you realize you are not where you're supposed to be. And you desperately want to turn the situation around. It, it could be years of regret. You might be looking back right now thinking, whoa, like this stuff and, and train wrecks and bad decisions in life and, and, just, and just stuff. It could be, it could be years of regret. It could, or it could be just after a few minutes. It could be just, just one thing that kind of stands out in your mind. And either way, you want to recover from the regret and never go back to that situation again. Well, to wrap up our roller coaster series here, the next two Sundays, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 for, for both Sundays, today and, and next Sunday. And then on December the 7th, we start our Christmas series and we go back to one service and all that. All that fun, looking forward to that. Uh, Luke 15 really is, honestly, it's one of my favorite texts in the entire Bible. And uh, Jesus shares three stories, three parables in Luke 15 about losing, finding, and returning. And the point of the parables, one point of the parables is to show us, is to, 
is to uh, illuminate for us that, that lost people matter to God. When you're far from God or when you aren't where you know you should be, you're not where God wants you to be or you've done something to, to cause that regret in your life, God is looking for you. God is waiting for you. God is, God is watching for you. Not like your parents were waiting for you when you were out after midnight. <laughs> I can remember some of those. It's not like that. It's not like, like, like facing the music kind of. It's not, it's not like that. God is looking for you so he can embrace you. So he can rejoice with you. So that he can throw a party for you. All that God wants to do is, is just pour out his, his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness on your life. And there, there's so much that I wish I could say this morning about Luke chapter 15. Um, sometime we need to go back and do a series on Luke chapter 15 and, um, and just stay there for a month or so. Um, several years back, I read this little book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. And I highly, 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 highly recommend this little book to you. Uh, the Prodigal God by Tim Keller. And this little book just blew up. Did I lose my mic? Hello. Check. Test. One, two. Are we on? Do I need to do something else? You got me back. Here I go. Wow. Okay. Um, this little book by, by Tim Keller just blew this scripture wide open for me. I've read it about five times and, um, it's available today in our cafe bookstore. I made that up. We don't have a cafe bookstore. It's available today at Amazon.ca and, uh, and find that. Um, but I want to show you this uh, quote from Tim Keller on page 19 of this, this little book. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. All God's people said, uh, roll that thing back again, we're going to read her again. If the preaching of our ministers, that's me, and the practice of our parishioners, that's you, do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. It's a good little book. You need to get it. The setting of Luke chapter 15 is remarkable. Um, the, the Luke 15 opens up with the most, tor- most notorious sinners of the area of the region were following Jesus uh, to hear him teach. They were just, wherever Jesus went, this group was following him, and they would stop, and uh, everybody would sit down, and Jesus would start to teach, and they just couldn't get enough of it. Why? Why would the most notorious sinners of that community follow Jesus to hear him teach? Because Jesus loved them. He didn't, he didn't judge them. Uh, he just loved them, and they were hearing a message that was totally, totally different from anything that they had ever heard. It was blowing their minds. They couldn't get enough of it, so they just kept following him around and, uh, and taking it in. There was another group that was following Jesus and also listening in. You got, the, you got the most notorious sinners, and then you got the Pharisees, two extreme opposites. And the Pharisees were there for different reasons. They were there to, one, to scoff at the sinners— and two, to complain about Jesus' teaching. They complained about, about everything. And they were trying to, to trap Jesus in something that he said. And they were ultimately wanting to, to convict Jesus and just, just get rid of him. 
So the, Jesus shares these three parables, these three stories about three lost things, and I'll explain more about that next Sunday. But for now, let's jump down to verse uh, 11. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 11, where Jesus tells us about a son who walks away from the father, from his father. And we've come to know the story as what? The, the prodigal son, you know it. The prodigal son. It would, the story would be better titled as the two prodigal sons because the older brother in the story is just as messed up as the younger brother. The older brother is just as messed up as the younger brother. You can be very reckless and lost and you can be very religious and just as lost. And that's how Jesus speaks to both groups at the same time with this parable. Okay, Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. We're going to read to 20. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, His father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This was a a mind-blowing story when Jesus told it. And we can't fully appreciate just how audacious, how crazy, out there, mind-blowing the story Uh, Was We can't picture the tax collectors and the notorious sinners and the Pharisees, all of them, just standing there with just jaw dropped, say what? Like when Jesus was telling this story. Jesus was teaching in, in a way that they'd never heard anybody teach like this before. A younger son would never approach the father and ask for his share. If you did that, in essence, what the younger son was saying to his father was, I wish you were dead. Like, I, I, I just wish you were dead. I want to block you out of my life. There's, there's something that I want. There's a way that I want to live. And, and I, I just, I can't wait for you to die so that I can have what I want. It's not much different than us or a three-year-old. I want what I want and I want it now. And I, I don't care what I have to do to get what I want. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you just blocked out all the the voices that were trying to tell you not to make that bad decision? And you just 
And he just made it anyhow. Even though there were, there were friends around you that were saying, I, 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 are you sure? You know, even though there were people speaking into your life, even though maybe you even, you even felt, you know, not good about that decision. You, maybe you even felt like God was telling you not to make that decision, but you made that wrong decision. Anyway, you, you blocked out all the voices. You ignored your friends. You blew through all the guardrails. And, and uh, most of all, you, you just put God on mute. You ever hit God's mute button? You're just like, la, 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 la. I'm not listening, I'm not listening. La, 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 la. And this is what the younger brother does. He gets, he gets so fixated on what he wants that he pauses his father. He, he puts his father on mute. He says, I don't want your wisdom. I don't want your influence. I don't even want your presence. I just want your wealth. All, all I want is, is your money. And it's a jaw-dropping story because in this culture, if a younger son ever disgraced his father this way, the father would, would, would physically, the father would physically um, drive this insolent, ungrateful punk off the family property. Like, get me a big stick and I'm going to chase this clown right off the family property. And, and, the, and the father in that culture would not just stand there trying to understand where he's coming from. The father would flip. The father would go nuts. He would physically drive this, this punk off of his property and cast him out into the world with nothing, not with a share of the family's estate, put, cast him out into the world with nothing. And then for until that father died, he would consider that son as if he never lived. He would not exist to that father. He, would just, he just would be gone from, from his from his life forever. But this father in Jesus' parable, in Jesus' story, is different. Jesus gives us an image of a different father. This father agrees to the son's request, and he lets him go his way and make his decisions. He could have stopped his son, but he didn't. And sometimes with regret, after we've done something that we regret, we wish that you know, why didn't somebody stop me? Why didn't someone, you know, even though there were people around you, say, we tried, you just, you, just, you just wouldn't listen. You just blocked us out. Why wouldn't someone step in and stop me? Like, like me getting off the Tower of Terror. God, why did you let me do this? Why didn't you close the ride? <laughs> why didn't you close the park? God, why didn't you bring a hurricane or something? Like, you could have done something. Break my leg. You could have done something, anything. But let me get on that dumb ride. And we've learned, haven't we, that, that, that God lets us make our own decisions sometimes, even when they're bad decisions. And, and, and God doesn't pull our strings like, like puppets, and he doesn't turn all the knobs like, like robots, and, and he gives us a will and an ability to make decisions even when we know, even when he knows that we're making the wrong decision. I'll look back at the second part of verse 12. Second part of verse 12 says this. So his, his father agreed. The father agrees to this, to divide his wealth between his sons. Well, now the, now the older son is brought in. The older son is like, hey, 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 you know, <laughs> why does this have to affect me? And, and here's the, the truth about this part of the, the verse. Let's just go to this next screen, next screen here. Ah, there it goes. Okay. Temptation says, 
It'll only affect you. When, when you're being tempted by something and there's something that you really want and you're blowing through all the guardrails and you put everybody else on mute, you just keep hitting all the mute buttons in your life. What you're telling yourself is this will only affect me. But reality shows, we've learned, that our decisions affect others. They often affect others. The younger brother takes his share. And so in doing that, he leaves the older brother with all the work. And when he comes back, if you read to the end of the story, when he comes back and and the father takes him in again as a son, now they've got, now whatever's left in the pot, they've got to divide it again. Now he he gets another share again because the father welcomes him right back into the family. So the the older brother's thinking, hey, this, (laughs) I'm getting ripped off here. Why, why? Why does this have to affect me? There's less inheritance for all of us now. You're hurting, you're hurting the whole family. Verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money while living. He goes to Vegas or Disney or wherever, and he rides as many roller coasters of wild living as he can until his money runs out. And this story, though, is not about wild living. It's not about people who party their brains out and blow all their money. The story is about grace. Grace of the Father that never runs out. You see, sin is it's fun for a moment, but it, 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 it'll never satisfy your deepest cravings. Spending all that you have and, and pursuing stuff and pursuing a lifestyle that you think will make you happy, only, it only opens your eyes to the illusion that that stuff never makes you happy. You just keep chasing and trying stuff, and, and, and it, it'll never make you happy. Whether you are a prodigal who wasted all, or whether you're the older brother who shakes his head in disgust, tisk tisk. We all have choices to make that either bring us closer to the Father where there is plenty, or it cuts us off from the Father, from his supply, until we eventually starve. So let me read verses 14. I'll start reading here. We'll go down to 17, the first part of 17. About this time his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land. Didn't see that coming. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses. How do you make good decisions from a bad spot? How do we make, how do I make, how do you make good decisions when you find yourself in a bad spot, a bad situation? And the prodigal son wakes up on the backside of Vegas with no money and no clothes. That, that might not happen to all of us. That might not be your story. But there are other times, if we were honest, there are other times when we come to our senses, we realize I am not where I'm supposed to be. I'm in the middle of a bad decision, or I'm on the, I'm on the end of a bad decision, or I've, I've, I've done something that I know is creating distance between me and the Father, and this, this, is, this, is, this is not good. We've drifted off course. We're not where God wants us to be. Or maybe, maybe you can't even trace the specific decisions. Maybe it's not like some, you know, huge thing or, or, you know, maybe it's just the roller coaster of life 
that just kept hitting you with unexpected twists and turns and, and then high speed. And then, it, and then life just drops you a few hundred feet out of nowhere like that hell trap from the pit of Satan, the Tower of Terror. And you just like, you just find yourself thinking, you know, what do I do? How do I, how do I make good decisions out of this bad spot that I find myself in? And Jesus tells us that the young man came to his senses. He woke up and smelled the pigs. And just to drive the point home, Jesus, Jesus, uh, just to remind us how stubborn we are, Jesus uses the word finally. Just to just kind of get that in there. Finally, right? Not on the first day that he was broke. Not the first day that he was feeding the pigs. Not the first night that he slept with the pigs. Not the first day that he was hungry. Jesus says, finally, you know, like finally, finally, like God finally got through to this boy. Finally, he sees just how far he is from home. He sees his wrong decisions. And there in the mud, in the fertilizer, he snaps out of it and he starts to think about coming back to the father. How do we make good decisions from a bad spot? You make good decisions from a bad spot by remembering the father's love. When he comes to his senses, he remembers how good his father is. He remembers what it was like being in in community, being in relationship, being in the father's house. And, And all of that comes back to him. And he starts to think, you know, wow. You know, it, it is so good with the Father. Life was good when I was, when I was with the Father, when I was where I was supposed to be. He comes to his senses. And, and the same thing that was true for him is, is true for us this morning. You make good decisions from a bad spot by remembering just how much God loves you. You remember the love of the Father. Forget about the pigs. Don't focus on the, on the fertilizer. Remember the heart of the Father. Grace never changes its address. You can always come home. There's always grace in God's house. There's always forgiveness in God's house. There's always restoration in God's house. Coming to your senses should always lead you back to the Father. And maybe that's true for some who are here this morning. Maybe, maybe God is speaking to you right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. And you're just, you're just getting that, 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 that nudge, that reminder, that wake-up call, that coming to your senses. The lights go on for this, this younger son, and he realizes that the path he's on leads to death. He realizes, you know what? I, I went my own way. I was going my own way. And if I keep going my own way, I'm going to die. The road that I am on, nothing good is going to come from this. And I'm eventually just, I'm going to die. This does not end well. He thinks to himself, I'm dying, I'm starving. This is not working. A rebellious heart that turns away from the love of the Father will eventually starve you out. That's the truth that Jesus teaches to us here in Luke chapter 15. And although this younger son, he can't fully imagine how the father will respond, but he believes that that if he's truly repentant, 
If I come back to the Father and, 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 and I'm truly repentant, and I really mean I'm contrite, I'm humble, I really mean it, the Father will receive me. Verse 20 again. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You got, you, you, I mean, to make the story even more fun, you got to picture the, the notorious sinners and the tax collectors and the Pharisees listening to how the father responds to this child who took his share from the family and blew the whole... And here he comes, filthy, full of pig, you know what, and he's walking back down my lane, and the father runs out to him, filled with love and compassion, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. This morning, I encourage you to picture God watching down the lane of your life, ready to run to you the moment he sees you making your comeback. See, when you start walking towards God, when you start walking, you get right standing. God will open his arms to you. And God takes his very best robe that he has, his son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, And God takes Jesus and he covers your past. He covers your shame with Jesus. He covers your filth, your rags, your brokenness. He takes your worst and he gives you his best. That's why we call it good news. This is the kind of message that everyone needs to hear a message like that. It's good news. It's something worth getting excited about. This is why we as Moncton Wesleyan as a people need to be people inviting people to experience and follow Jesus because it's good news. We don't want people to come to Jesus so that God can make them feel worse about themselves. We don't, that's not what we believe. So that God can fill their lives with every good gift and every good blessing that he has for them. And we never stop searching for lost people because God never stops searching for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you again this morning for uh, the truth of your word, how your word is alive, and how your presence is here right now speaking to us. And Lord, we've all faced times in our lives when when we've just found ourselves in in a place of regret or a place where we knew we shouldn't be. A place where we realized there was some, some distance between where we are and where you are, a relationship with you. And we knew we needed to turn around. We needed, knew that we needed to come home to the Father. And God, for uh, many who are here this morning, that might be exactly where they're at right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, continue to speak to us this morning, that you would draw us closer to you, and for anyone, Lord, who uh, maybe is, is coming to their senses, just like that, that, that younger son this morning, and they're thinking in their heart, I need, to, I need to return to the Father. God, I pray that you would help them to see your outstretched arms. 
I pray that you would help them to picture you watching down the lane of their life, ready to run to them and just to, to, to surround them with your love and your compassion, welcoming them home, making them your child. And Lord, I just pray that you would, uh, that you would do this in many, many hearts and lives this morning. For anyone here this morning, Lord, who's, who's never made that, that first step back to you, who's, who's never made the decision to follow you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would uh, help them to, to take that first step this morning as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.